Well, this morning, um, we do have something special for you. This is a morning where we're doing kind of our soft launch back into the book of Acts. Some of you that have been around for the last six, eight months know that we've been in an in-depth series in the book of Acts, and we took a little hiatus for Easter in a series that we did called Explore God. Well, this Sunday, we are back as a soft launch into the book of Acts, and next week, we're going to get started full on in Acts chapter 9. Um, but this week, we wanted to do something special. I'm going to invite up onto the stage a friend of mine from long ago. His name is Richard Rudolph. Perhaps you will recognize that last name. Uh, Rich is the son of the famed Ken Rudolph, <laughs> who we've had here many, many times at Northwest. Uh, many of our students here every summer go up to Lake Ann, hear his ministry there. Uh, many of you guys have been at the winter retreat where Ken Rudolph comes down to us in God's country of North Carolina. Yes. And so he's spoken 10 or 12 times for many of wow. our students, spoken here at Northwest every summer, at least three, four times over the last many years. And so this is his son. Yes, this is Richard. And um, I wanted to share something briefly about Rich. Um, he's connected to our community here at Northwest as well. And I'll let you share the other stuff, so okay. I won't mention that. But I will tell you that Richard was in middle school when I was a youth pastor while in seminary in Pennsylvania. So Rich was a little sixth, seventh grade little twerp. Chunky, um, chunky twerp. Chunky, he was mm -hmm. chunky. Just kind of tooling around, causing trouble as a pastor's kid. Mm -hmm. You know, they can be the worst, right? Mm -hmm. So Ken Rudolph was, you know, of course, a pastor up there in Pennsylvania where I went to Bible college and seminary. And I was able to, to see Rich through those years of 11, 12, mm -hmm. 10 and um, to see what a godly man he has turned into even after those years is pretty incredible. And I told, uh, I told the first service that I woke up this morning way before my alarm went off, just excited about this moment where I could present Rich to you guys, have him share about the ministry that God's called him to, and um, just excited about this opportunity to share the stage with somebody that I knew from when they were young. And, and the Lord brought a passage to my mind that I just want to share with you, I think it's pretty significant. We here at Northwest, we are committed to inspiring and guiding generations, all right? That's why student ministry is so important, and our kids' ministry is so important. And no matter where you are on the gamut of life, we've got a responsibility to pour in to the next generation. And here in Psalm 144, this is so rich. Check this out, so, so huge. It's kind of a blessing that David just kind of throws out, all right? And, and listen to this. This is so good. He says, may our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, and may our daughters be like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. Isn't that just a really cool thought? That David's like, see all these little minions running around that are biting your ankles and causing problems and messing things up in the house and, you know, keeping you up all night at an all-nighter for junior hires, you know? Like, David's like, no, no, no. May they grow up to be strong plants full of produce and good fruits. And may our daughters be like pillars of palaces, cornerstones of what God's doing. I better stop because I'm going to start preaching, but it's your stage. I get next week. But anyway, I'm just so thankful that the Lord allowed our church and the Rudolph 
family mm. to be connected together mm. in so many different ways. And you're going to be blessed by him sharing about his ministry. And we're back in the book of Acts. He's going to be talking about Paul and Paul's heart for what God's heart was for. And you guys are really going to be blessed. But let's go ahead and give a, a warm Northwest Community Church welcome to Rich Rudolph. Love you, brother. Thanks. Love you, brother. Well, it is uh, very good to be here with you all. Yes, we have many roots that connect here to Northwest. Number one, Jerry. I actually met him when I was six years old. Him and my brother were in a dorm together at Baptist Bible College, and uh, they were in each other's weddings. And then Jerry lived at my house when I was a young man as well, before I was even in middle school, before he married Becca. And so uh, we have a very deep connection there. And then he was my youth pastor when I was in middle school. And uh, Jerry is one of the most godly men that I know, and uh, truly he's, he's a guy, that, a hero of, of mine and many other guys who grew up idolizing kind of his just desire to love the Lord, and uh, you follow that, and, and so thank you, Jerry, for those years, and um, it's just a privilege to be here to be able to say, hey, we're in the same church today. And then uh, Adam King, I believe he is your youth pastor, correct? Uh, we went to college together. We were not only at the same college, but in the same dorm, not only the same dorm, but the same floor which means that we have crazy stories about each other that uh, they better not get out or maybe our lives would both be ruined. And um, I just was at the middle school right before, and he said, this is the guy I was telling you about that story last week. He's the guy. I'm thinking, thank you. All right, yes. And uh, so me and Adam, I go back way, way back. And um, then my father with Lake Ant Camp, and I know you guys have done that. How many of you have been to Lake Ant Camp from you? So they're in the front row, I guess, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Okay. Uh, um, but that's wonderful. Yeah, my wife and I, we gave our lives a full-time ministry and missions uh, because of Lake Ann Camp and uh, just the ministry it had in our lives. So it's a huge investment, and I would definitely uh, continue to encourage you to do that. And uh, we'll be there this next, uh, the first two weeks of the summer, so we're looking forward to that. So our connections here are very deep. Um, but I'm excited to share with you a little bit about our ministry, what God has called me and my wife to. We are church planters in the country of Germany. We've been there for five years. And uh, that is my family. That is our son, Justice, the oldest, Lincoln and Lucy, six, three, and one-year-old. So uh, my wife is the electrician that has to put all the live wires together when I'm not there. And uh, she does a great job of that. Um, we also uh, have now been there for, for uh, five years in Germany. And we have a multifaceted type of ministry. Our first thing that we're really doing is church planting. So if you want to go to the first slide with church planting. This is the church that Julie and I were able to plant uh, with, long, um, with some other colleagues of ours, but we, we planted that in the city of Song Vendel, and it's called the City Church, and uh, we started with about seven people. By God's grace, he saved so many people within the last five years that we are around 40 people now. We just praise God for what he's done there. But we don't just want to be a a, a, a one-generational church. We want a multi-generational church. And so that's what our, our goal is, have a replicating church-planning church. And so many of you here, though, that we're in Germany are thinking, why Germany? That is the land of the Reformation, isn't it? Um, yes, the Reformation happened 500 years ago, but the land of the Reformation is in need of a heart transformation. 500 years ago that happened. And since then, so many things have taken place in Germany, so now that less than 2% of Germans would claim a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is crazy. There's 82 million people. And you probably want, what, what has taken place for that to happen? 
we have a thing in, in, that happened in Germany in the late 1800s called liberal theology where they were saying Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. Maybe Jesus is just a, a good moral teacher or maybe he wasn't real at all. And so that kind of went through the churches and it really killed a gospel preaching movement. And then you have World War I and World War II. And Germany was on the losing side of both of those engagements. We were, th- those are our greatest feats as a country. Those are their most embarrassing, worst times. And so when they, before they went to battle, or before they went in, they were told, we are going for God and country. And during World War II, you have churches that have swastikas, and they are saying, this is what God wants us to do. And Hitler is to that same level as the Lord. And so they lost mistrust in the church. And no more, and when, they, when the war's over, they would look and say, how could there be a good God that would allow any of this to happen? How could God, how could there be even a concept of God? See what happens when we follow somebody? See what happens when we follow this idea of religion or another idea? It just leads us to problems. So now Germany is a very dead country when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But by God's grace, he's still at work there. Amen? One newspaper said Germany is a heathen land with Christian residue. So there's much work that has to be done. And so we're not just church planting one church. You can go to the next slide. We want to help restore churches that are already existing. My wife and I, um, we, we work with six other churches in our network. And they don't have pastors because they can't afford them. And uh, just recently, our church that was planted has now looked to help restore another church about 40 minutes away. And they have about 10 people. And I said, hey, they started, we started with seven. They have 10. This is good, right? There you go, more numbers. And uh, we send people there to help encourage and preach and teach there at that church. And so that's part of it. And then the third thing that we do is our church planning center. We want to bring in a network of churches that can be uh, encouraged and taught and leadership development at this place, this building here where we do seminars and we do camps and outreach camps and teen events and big concerts for them so that we can continue to encourage our region because there is really nothing. If you took our churches out of those regions, you would have to go 30 minutes to an hour to find the next gospel preaching church. So it's about an hour to two hour radius where we come together at this church planning center. And another thing that God has allowed us to do is over there, you see those are some refugees that God has allowed us to minister with. Refugee ministry is huge right now in our lives. About two years ago, Germany opened up the borders to a couple countries who have refugees. And so uh, Iranian, Syrian refugees poured in. We have 1.3 million refugees that came into Germany in that time. And there's only 82 million people in the country. So you can tell there's a huge uh, growth in that way. And in God's providence, where this church planning center is, God put a camp for refugees. So they're being brought here. And one by one, God was allowing us to see refugees come to Christ. We were doing Bible studies with them, and this last year, 15 to 20, got saved and baptized. That is by the grace of God. God has brought the nations to us where we couldn't get to. No, we couldn't get to Iran. We couldn't get to Afghanistan or those places, but he brought them to us. And through that, God has allowed us to even house them. So now the old church building that we had, we turn into a refugee apartment place, a big complex with refugees that live, and then because Germany has now changed a lot of laws, they're trying to send the refugees back, and we are able to asylum some of these refugees under some old middle-aged laws. We're, we're putting them in the church planning center to live there so we can help house them and take care of them. And these are brothers and sisters in Christ who were once Muslims who have come to Christ and say, if I get sent back, my life is in jeopardy. 
So that's why we're housing them and loving them from our own, uh, whatever God allows us to do. So we try to do that, and we love them, and it's amazing to see what God is doing. And I wanna, I'm going to show you a video of our refugee ministry, and that's very new for us. It's in the last year and a half. And uh, some of these videos are us just teaching them German, teaching them about the Bible, and as well as uh, celebrating Iranian New Year's together. And just living life, because that's what we want to do. And it's so fun to see what God is doing there. And in this last month, couple months, we started a refugee service where 60 refugees now are coming to just that service, that international service for them. So watch this video, and then we'll get on to our text. It's a little bit about our refugee ministry that God's allowing us to be a part of. And some of those people, one of those guys who was actually dancing around flipping that thing, a little handkerchief, he was sentenced to death. We were able to help him get asylum in our country there. And so it's amazing to see what God is doing in so many amazing ways. And we just are open, and it's so much fun to be on mission with God. Amen? We are able to see God do such a variety of things because we get to be on mission with him. Serving his local church and reaching the world that is dead in need of a savior. And so I believe God is going to actually rise up disciples to go on mission with him continually in churches like this and other churches today. Amen? I truly believe that, and I believe we will do that, and God will do that if we allow him to take us out of our comfort zone. Allow him to take us from where we are and say, God, here I am, use me. Take me from what's comfortable and put me in a place where I can serve you. That is one of the first things that happens to us as we go on mission with God or overseas or serving God anywhere, and we hate it. We love our comforts. We love our comfort zones. Marketing in America, we've been back for just two months to America, and it is so obvious to me, we market around our comfort. You go to Starbucks, I would like a triple latte, grande, whipped cream, three pieces of ice, make sure that's skim. If it's not, and then you sip, you're like, nope, send it back. I'm like, oh, yes, sir, for your comfort. Everything's built around us. Burger King, have it your way. I know nobody goes to Burger King, but still, they want it your way. But everything you do is built around your comfort and my comfort. The moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we're trying to engage, make you comfortable. But I don't find that anywhere in the book of Acts in the New Testament. That we don't see it guaranteed. So maybe it's something that we have to take ourselves out of so that we can engage in God's mission properly. There are many things that we experience as missionaries that take us out of our comfort zone when we go to another country. And we kind of expect that for us, right? We're eating bugs, we're eating loincloths. I know in Germany we're not. Lederhosen, maybe for me. Um, but you have to learn a new language. That is one of the most, most uncomfortable things ever when you say really stupid stuff. New food, horse hot dogs. I know girls are like weeping, like, no. I'm like, yes, we eat horse hot dogs. You don't have family around you. You're alone. It's uncomfortable. You are weak. And you become a baby again. And we look and we say, of course. That's expected. We sent you overseas with new culture, new people. And because of these factors, I'm probably not 100% able to use my gifts and abilities in Germany. And that takes me out of my comfort zone. And honestly, I wanted to leave my first year in Germany. I did. And I thought, God, could you give me an honorable discharge somehow? Maybe like an illness that's not too bad, but bad enough where they can't treat it here so I can come home and be like, oh, gingivitis, you know, they, just, they have terrible dentists. <laughs> Please, Lord, something. God said, no, I'm keeping you there. You're going to serve me. 
And God showed me in his word and through this passage that getting out of my comfort zone is part of the mission of God. He has not only called people to do this overseas, but he's called each and every one of us to do this down the road and in our neighborhoods, in our town, in our churches. So today I want us to look at two truths, if you're taking notes, two truths that empower us while we are outside of our comfort zone on mission with God. Two truths that empower us while we are outside of our comfort zone on mission with God. Because I believe each Christian is called to be active in this mission, whether across an ocean or down the road. So I want to look at the, the book of Acts, verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 17 through 21. A little bit of background here. Paul is back from his third missionary journey. And he goes to the temple for purification. Some Jews from Asia see him there who, who knew him. They rise up, rebels, and they're like, this, is, this guy needs to be, he's bad. He's teaching against the Mosaic law. And they take him. They're ready to kill him. The Roman soldiers come in. They save him. And he says, can I address the crowd? They say, you may address the crowd. He talks to the crowd in Hebrew. They fall silent. He begins to tell him his conversion story, how he became a Christian. And then after his story is verse 17, and he's with He's in the temple and God comes to him. And I want to read this, okay? Let's read verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, this is the Lord speaking, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that I, that, that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I Myself was standing by and approved and watched over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The first truth that empowers us is this. Number one, God knows exactly how to use you, and he will not make a mistake. God knows exactly how to use you, and he will not make a mistake with your life. Paul begins to share his story and then he shares the story of why he went to the Gentiles. And he's in the temple, and, and God comes to him, and he says, leave. And Paul has this, tries to have this discussion with God. He's like, oh, wait a second. My testimony is the best testimony you can use to reach these Jews. They don't believe. My testimony is the best testimony. It's sure proof. I killed people. I persecuted the church. God, you're misusing me. You're making a mistake by sending me out. And God comes to him and says, you know what? I totally missed that, Paul. Can we rewind that up in heaven? What happened here with Stephen? You think God made a mistake? No. God knows exactly what he's, is he's doing, and he doesn't even have the conversation with him. Paul tries to say, um, God, I think you have it wrong. And God says, go. They won't accept your testimony here. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Now go. And when I read that, it does not make sense in my human mind. He does have the best testimony for somebody who's against Christ from the Jewish background. Because he was a Jew, and he did believe what they believed. And he can argue it from the Old Testament. And Paul had it all. Oh. It's as if God called a Muslim who was persecuting the church in the Middle East and told him, now you've become a Christian. Now I want you to go to Germany and live in a little village and start a church. We would say, God, no, 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 that's a mistake. That's misuse of this person's testimony. He needs to be in the Middle East. And God says, no, I have a greater plan. 
we sometimes begin to question God, how he uses us, how he uses our story, how he uses our gifts and abilities, because we have an idea of what God can do with us. And we often have this conversation with God as if he's missed out on something with us, that he doesn't see our whole story. He doesn't see everything. And we, and we know, and we must remember that he knows us better than we know ourselves. But we think we know ourselves, and we think we know better than God. And when you leave your culture and your comfortable surroundings, it is so hard, and you begin to question everything. And I feel that, and I've lived that, and I don't feel 100% sometimes myself and useful in Germany. And I question God, did you make a mistake with me? In my experience with God in Germany, right away, you get there, you come from seminary, and you're like, I'm ready to preach, I'm ready to teach. They're like, no, you can't even speak. You become a baby, so no preaching, no discipleship. I'm building this church planning center with my hands. God, you made a mistake. I'm not a carpenter. Can't even, I don't even know what a hammer looks like. But God allowed that specifically to push me out of my comfort zone so that I could push others out of their comfort zone too, that we could be on mission together. When we started our church, it was really hard. And there was a young man and his wife who were in our church, and I couldn't do everything. I remember one service, I fired Jesus. I meant to say we're celebrating Jesus, but I said we are firing Jesus today. I needed help. He got up after and said, we have to rehire Jesus next week. So I came to him and I said, would you help me with this church? Could you help lead the service? He says, that's outside of my comfort zone. That, that's not my gifts and abilities. I'm just a lawyer. So I said, well, if I'm out of my comfort zone serving these people, you should be too. This is your own people. So we started doing that. We could see he was gifted and, and, and God was using him. He never thought he could do that. But then I said, why don't you think about leading communion? No, no, that is, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's too much. That's, that's not how, I'm just a lawyer. Get outside your comfort zone. So he went outside that comfort zone. He started doing it. And he did a fantastic job. And I came to him a couple months after. I said, I think God's calling you to be a preacher. I think you have that. No. And his wife said, that's it. Just stop right now. All right? You're going way too far with this. And I said, if I have to preach in your language, don't you think you could preach in your own language? Get outside your comfort zone with me. And he started doing it. You know what? By God's grace, he's helping lead that church right now. He's preaching on Sundays. He preached today without, and he never thought he would ever do that in a thousand years. And he did that because he said, I want to go on mission with God, even outside my comfort zone. Even when I thought it was a mistake that God was going to use me like this. Even when it's hard and I don't want to do it. What would have happened if I would have quit that first year? How are you telling God that he is making a mistake or wrongfully using you? in your life? How are you telling God today, God, that's a mistake, you cannot use me like this? What ministry is God bringing before your eyes every week in this church where you're saying, you need to be used here, serve me right here with these people? And you say, God, no, that's a mistake, I, I don't do kids, I don't do teenagers. On Saturday, you can serve a community. What if 100% of your church said, we are going to serve that community? I don't do that. I don't change batteries. I'm sorry. I don't talk to people. That's just too much for me. How can we tell Jesus no when he puts opportunities right in front of us to share the gospel? What does God want? Who does God want you to share his story with of the gospel? Who is God putting in front of your life at your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood continually where they're saying, he needs to know about me. You're saying, Jesus, send somebody else. I'm not good. I'm not able, I'm too weak, that's, that's a misuse of me. 
what trips keep coming up? You're saying, no, I'm not going to waste a vacation trip. That's the week of my vacation. I wouldn't dare serve Jesus like that. That's my comfortable vacation week. Let me tell you, serving, sharing, caring, and loving will put us out of our comfort zone 100% of the time. Washing the feet of somebody is not fun. But Jesus said, do likewise. You're not better than me. And when we feel like it's a mistake and a misuse of us, it's because it's uncomfortable, but it's not. And God told Paul, go, I am sending you. Who is God telling you to go to? Who are your Gentiles that God is saying go to? And you're saying, no, I, I think this is how you can use me. Who are your Gentiles today that God is saying go to these people? They need me. It was a mistake. It was a misuse of Paul. He was a church planter and planted amazing churches through the whole Greek and Gentile world. God does not make a mistake with your life or with my life, and he did not make a mistake with Paul's life, and we see it here written in the book of Acts. But there's a second truth that can empower us, that can empower us while we are outside of this comfort zone, and that is this. Number two, our weaknesses are an advantage for the gospel to be made strong. Our weaknesses are an advantage for the gospel to be made strong. When we go on mission with Christ, like Paul, then we will be very weak because it's outside of what's comfortable because everything becomes unfamiliar. Everything. You are made weak and you can't rely on your knowledge that you already have in that area or your strength that you know how well you can do in that area. So we decide not to do it because it's scary. And we say, that's a weakness. God can't use my weakness. But actually, God is using our weaknesses in amazing ways. With Paul, he is called to go to the Gentiles. He is a Jew. He knows how to share Christ from the Old Testament. He has to learn completely everything new in a new culture and become weak so that he can be a Gentile to the Gentiles so that they can understand the gospel message from Gentile eyes. And he had to become very, very weak. It's a whole new ball game for him. And as soon as you get in that unfamiliar environment, you feel like you just want to quit because you don't have the energy and strength and and power to do it anymore because it's not your strength. But what's amazing is that Paul's ministry was weakness. It's in me weakness that God uses him. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is uncomfortable for us completely. We are stretched outside of our comfort zone when we do that. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. We think, God, this is not good at all. Please stop. And I think this all the time when I'm in Germany. I do. I am in a very hard country that wants nothing to do with God, just like the Gentile world that Paul had to engage. I live in a post-Christian, post-modern society which means truth is irrelevant. And post-Christendom means the story of the gospel is just so old that they just think it's a fairy tale. And people that we are engaging don't even have the, where did I come from, where am I going, what's life all about questions. We just saw a guy come to Christ this last month, and I asked him, did you ever ask where I go when I die? You know, you're thinking, yeah, I did, and I'm so glad you told me. No, I never thought that once. What? 
Yeah, I thought you lived once and then you just go back to dust. I mean, you never had any spiritual thought whatsoever? No, I did not. Pragmatic atheism is so scary because they just don't, God doesn't apply to their life. And I'm thinking, God, how am I going to reach these people? I can't think of an argument. I can think of every spiritual law and everything to give them in my strength of ideas of what you can do. But they don't even want to hear it. I'm sure Christ's people are like, so would you like to believe this? No, not at all. I'm like, oh. But you've never wondered where you're going when you, no, not once. And I don't really care. I'm like, oh. Well, there goes that argument. Jesus, you have to work in my weakness. And we've seen God do that in our church in Germany. But it's only by his strength and his power, not at all by ours. We had a guy who got saved. I asked him to do Bible study. He said, no, thanks, okay. He just started coming to our church. Okay, Lord, whatever. And then he just comes out of the blue. All right, I'd like to do a Bible study. I'm like, okay. Think of the arguments. God just said, just, just bring it to my word. We just went through the word together. He gets saved. He gets baptized. At his baptism, God is divinely merging all these things that happen for his strength and his power, not ours. A girl comes for, with a, her mom who goes to our church, and she's not a person of peace. She was like a person of hate. Like, I want nothing to do with God. I hate God. But she's I don't know why, but I just want to go to this baptism. So she went to the baptism, and his story is her story. And it hit her like just a ton of bricks, and she, she started coming to church. And we're like, what are you doing at church? And it's all by God's grace. And guess what? She got saved. And she does a 180-degree turn, not because of anything in our strength, but everything in the strength of who Jesus is. And then guess what happens? Her boyfriend, she breaks up and says, I, I, I want a, a Christian husband, and I don't want to be with you anymore. He's like, okay, you're really nice now. You used to be really mean. He says this. I got to see what they're doing to you at this place. So he comes, and he's got, we started coming in December and January. I said, do you want to do a Bible study? He's like, yeah, I guess. So we do a Bible study. You know, the first thing is like, you know, virgin birth, perfect, died, rose from the dead. And he comes back on a white horse. Would you like to believe in this? It's like, what? You know, this is insane. Was, I left our first meeting kind of like, what is this hooky madooky, you know, ma magic stuff? But guess what? He got saved. After going through scripture with him, it had nothing to do with anything we did as a church besides just loving him and the power of Jesus Christ. And the same thing happened when the refugees came. We had one refugee get saved. And then he brought two. And I'm thinking, okay, in my strength, I've got to figure out the best argument to win a Muslim to Christ. And you know what the Holy Spirit just said? Just bring through my word. Just show him the love of Jesus. Just show him that you are different by how you act. So we started doing a two-week Bible study together every day. And two weeks, we started Genesis, we were in Acts. And they said, I believe this now, and I want to get baptized just like in the book of Acts in that river. And it was February, and I said, I'm too skinny. I will probably die if we get baptized right now but a much chunkier colleague of mine would be definitely willing to do that. <laughs> and that is only through the power of Jesus Christ. And they brought more people to Christ. And we just have to let go and say, God, may you do a work. I just want to be a part of it. May we go on mission with you and just be faithful stewards of what you've given us. And Jesus is by our side. And the question is, is it better to be fully reliant on our own strengths or in the strength that we receive through Jesus and the spirit that lives inside of us. I'd rather say I want to be relying on Jesus and not on me. Even though all the time I say be relying on me. If we only serve when we are 100% of our own strengths and abilities and when we feel comfortable, then we have missed a key point of the cross of Christ. We are weak in need of a savior. And without him, we cannot be saved. And we are saved in our weakness in our dead, in our trespasses. If we are saved in our weakness, 
shouldn't we serve much more out of that weakness and who Jesus is and what he's done as a power of a new life, of a redeemed person to say, I'm a new creation, creation not by what I've done, but what Jesus has done. So step back and let Jesus work and say, take me on the ride with you. You go and go onto the, to the gates of hell and I'm with you. And let me just be a faithful steward and be by your side. We have this church planning center that we built with our own hands, which was one of the hardest things, worst decisions I think of anyone's life. But we're in the middle of it and God has done it. It's awesome. But Germans make walls that are like this big. I, I'm not joking. But their cement walls are this big. Steel cement. Americans are like this big. Okay? So when we have to do demolition or cut through something, it's really easy. There it's not. And we see this wall that we have to make a window in from this garage, and we're thinking, how are we going to do that? I could swing a hammer all day, and it might make just a little chisel dent, but nothing's going to happen. So my colleague says, I got the Jumbo 900. The Jumbo 900? You're like, this has to be amazing. It is. It's a saw the size of like a uh, ironing board, okay? And the blade on that is as big as like a semi-wheel. And he brings this, he's like, we're going to cut the windows with this. And I'm thinking, we're all going to die. Not as martyrs. We're going to die in the mission field of stupidity. So he gets this thing, and we have hoses. He's like, spray the saw because it's going to get really hot. The blade could melt. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is insane. So he, he gets it, and he's just like, woof, woof. I'm like, I need to call my family, put my will in place, everything. He gets it, woof, and he puts it up. He's like, spray it. We're spraying it. He puts it into the wall, and it's like sparks are flying, and soot and everything is flying. And we're like, ah. I'm thinking just blood's gonna, he's going to be dead. Everything's done. He goes through. He's, you know, it's minutes long, and I'm just like just doing this. Like, now I'm just wondering what's happening. And then he gets done. The dust settles, and we had the wall cut out, or we had the window cut out. Now, who did it? The Jumbo 900 did it. We would be foolish to say, I did this. It cut the wall. We were just there to be stewards and to let it do its power. And that's what God is doing continually in your story, in my story. When we go outside of our comfort zone and engage our world and our workplaces and our neighbors and serve as a church. Why could Paul serve, though, outside of his comfort zone? And why can we serve outside of our comfort zone if it's so hard? We can do this, and we are able to do this because Jesus did. Jesus came out and served us out of the comforts of heaven and came down to this earth and died the death that we deserve and lived the life we could not live. Philippians 2, he became a humble servant, came to this earth and humbled himself to be obedient to death on the cross. We have to keep our eyes fixed on him while we are outside of our comfort zone when we are weak, because he's our strength, and we want to be like our, like our master. But through his death, our weaknesses are not a handicap, but through his death, it becomes an opportunity for Christ to show the power that the gospel has. Paul said, my grace, this is what God, Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And we serve in that power continually. In what ways do you feel weak and do I feel weak and that we tell God no? No, God, I won't get out of my comfort zone because I'm too weak or it's a misuse and I'm not going to serve you. 
and I'm not going to share, and I'm not going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. How do we tell that? In what ways do we do that daily? Or maybe you're here today for the first time, and Jesus is calling you, and saying, get out of your comfort zone and come to me. Let me be your father. Let me save you of your sins. That might be your comfort zone to get out today. But God is calling us to leave the comforts of the American dream that does nothing but provide just more want at the end to get engaged into the mission and say, here I am, like Paul in verse 21, go, for I will send you to this person, for I will send you to this ministry, for I will send you to this land, and say, here I am, send me. And that is the power, that truth that God is with us empowers us. Not our strength, not the idea that we're being used in the grand way that we thought of, but that it's his idea and it's through the strength that the Spirit is alive inside of us. Who will go? Will you today? What will you tell God today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your cross is so great and wonderful, and it saves us, and it calls us to mission. And your story does not change, and it is full of power. And it's your majesty. And it's, it's just so humbling that we get to be a part of it, Lord. And I pray that we would take your mission so serious to say, I want to serve and tell and go wherever you send me, like Paul. And like Jesus, when he came down to save us. That we would go as humble servants and say, here I am, send me. Jesus, may we not find excuses, but may we find empowerment in who you are and what you do, have done in our life. Amen.